You're listening to Partnernomics Podcast, where we discuss the art and science of developing successful strategic partnerships. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics solutions, visit Partnernomics.com. Welcome back to another episode of Partnernomics Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Brigman. And on today's show, we have Yoav Sneer with us. Yoav is the head of global digital partnerships at Amdocs, a massive company that, that I had the, the pleasure of, of doing some work with uh, earlier in my career. And uh, Yoav is also an entrepreneur and an aspiring musician. So we're definitely glad to get into this topic as well, Yoav. But yeah, thanks, sure. thanks for your time, Yoav. Thank you. I, I've been waiting to have this chat with you. I think we, when we talked last time, we, I guess we, we, we connected on, on, on different things. And I'll be happy to share my story. And if I can share some of my insight that I gained along the way this, of this journey with your listener and someone will find beneficial, that's uh, more or less what we can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Yoff, um, talk to us a little bit, if you would, about your early career and, uh, and then your journey of how you got to the U.S. Sure. Well, actually, that's pretty easy. I got here in 2008 with my family, with my wife and two boys. Uh, Amdocs, the company I work for, is an international company. We do business with uh, or we serve the 300 telecommunication and media providers around the world, the likes of Sprint, T-Mobile, AT&T, and then internationally, the Vodafone Group, Orange, America Mobile, and so on and so forth. And one of the things we do is that we have those are since those are massive accounts or customers, and we serve them some of them for many many years. Like for example, Sprint or Sprint Nextel when it was still that, and we've been working with them for probably around twenty years. So we have a, always have a local account team, a dedicated account team that uh, serve the customer, and we have them co or sit with the customers. So. Back into the night, I was offered a position with our Sprint account here in Overland Park. And after, well, obviously when they offered me the job and I was back in Israel back then, I, I didn't know where, even where it was on the map like many of my, my friends now still do. So uh, after I took a, a short trip and came here and, and met the people and, and seen the place, well, the rest is history, right? So I. I said, hey, um, I love the place. We're moving here. I moved here and we've been here ever since. Actually, when I moved to my, I, I did a few roles with, with our Sprint account. And after a few, after five years, when it was time to move on and I moved on to the partnership world. And so my boss back then said, hey, oh, now that you have all of North America, you know, why won't you move somewhere more central? So you can guess what I told him, right? I told him, hey, it doesn't get any more central than Kansas City. I was going to say, it is right smack <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, you know, I like it here. My wife, the kids will like it here. So if you don't mind, you know, I'll stay and I'll, I'll just you know, connect more and I'll fly. So that's that's how I got here. Awesome. Yeah, so you all of you, you come to the U.S. Uh, via Israel. And uh, I, was, I was collaborating with uh, a professional colleague um, from monday.com and I learned that not only is, is Monday uh, an Israeli company but she also said that Israel has the most uh, is basically seen as the most 
entrepreneurial country in the world. And I was fascinated by that. So we had this really interesting conversation and you and I were chatting about it a minute ago. Um, so you said that there are more startups in Israel or I guess you know, Israel is only second to the United States for the quantity of startups. And Israel is about a third of the size of the state of Kansas. Is that right? Yeah, more or less. So Israel is also called uh, the startup nation. There's actually a book by that title that you may have heard of. And there's actually a sequel for that. I can send you the link later so you can post it on your website. But that's true. Israel is, is, is very fortunate to be one of the startups or innovation hubs in the world. And it is second only to, to the S in the number of startups, at least last time I checked, that we produce. And then if you do the math of, of the size and 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 not in the size of population, so it's probably in, in per capita or per any measurements, probably one of the leaders in the world. And there are many reasons for that that we could probably cover on another podcast because that's a topic by itself. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I have to say that I've, in my current role, I work with entrepreneurs and businesses from all around the world, anywhere from you know the, the two, go, two guys and a girl in the garage somewhere, all the way to the, the big companies like the likes of Adobe, which is one of my partners in the digital domain and others like AWS and Microsoft. And, and I have to say that innovation entrepreneurship is everywhere, right? And you know, even if you look at the, you know, our, our metro area, when I came here in 2008, when what we talked about just a few minutes ago, the, there was, not a lot going on. The, the, the two main employers were Sprint and Cerner, I guess, and then maybe a few banks downtown. Now, uh, granted it's 12 years later, but th there's probably 15 minutes away from my house, there are hundreds of startups from every size and feature in agriculture and in veterinarian and, and FinTech and logistics and you name it, right? And when I tell it to people that are coming from the big hubs, like from New York, from Boston, from the Silicon Valley, or from Tel Aviv, and I tell them, hey, I live in Kansas. So they, after they finish with the jokes on the Yellow Brick Road and Dorothy, and, I, and they said, so there's nothing there, just cornfield, right? I said, well, they are actually like 10 minutes away from my house, but 10 minutes the other way, they're like probably three to five incubators and hundreds of startups. But really, innovation is everywhere. Yeah, it's it's amazing what's, I guess, there's the internet, software, hardware. I mean, I I, I love where we are. I mean, as I'm, I would call myself an entrepreneur. My company, you know, Partnernomics, is business number six for me over the past 26 years. And I think today, you know, the resources that we have and the the capabilities that, you know, to build businesses cost-effectively there are companies for just a few thousand dollars that could literally be developing products and competing with billion dollar companies and frankly, winning contracts. They, I think it's, there's more capabilities now to do that today than we've ever had before. De definitely. And it, it's, it's just keep on rolling. And I'm, I'm, I'm spending some time out of my week usually trying to talk to different people outside of my day-to-day -day job, whether it's local entrepreneurs or just you know, people in other industries. And I, I meet 
fascinating people. And some of those are young entrepreneurs, some of them young, like literally out of college with an amazing idea and a huge drive and ambition and they're just, just making it. Granted that they will, they will need the guidance and, and people like people that have been in, in the business for more than a few years and, and maybe with like a dash of gray hair and can uh, save, them the, save them from the mistake we all made and help them get through it better. But actually there is also value in failing. Speaking of an entrepreneurial spirit and the startup nation, uh, there is value in failure. There, if, if you're an entrepreneur, there's no way you will be successful all the time. Uh, if, it, it's, if you do, it's probably a miracle. But you know, it, we, if you look at the statistics for startups, I think there's, it's somewhere between 5 to 15% that make it. All the rest don't. But you learn more from your mistakes than you learn from your successes, the which successes, might be a cliche, yeah. but it's, I guess it's true. Yeah, so true, so true. Uh, you also, I want to talk about. So you are leading. You're the global lead for for digital partnerships at Amdoc. So, you know, what does that mean? You you shared, you know, some of the different uh, partners that you have and that you work with, um, the AWSs of the world. But uh, more specifically, what does your team focus on, and what's the you know the, the value, and what are you executing against to help Amdocs? So first of all, a bit about Amdocs, just for the, those of you who haven't heard of it. And if you're not in the telecommunication business, most likely you haven't. But actually, it's very likely that we've touched your life uh, at least once in the past 30 days, if not more. Because our company is, is the engine behind the big telcos of the world, right? So. Uh, Amdocs is the billing engine and the care engine. So if you call the call center and you talk to the agent, most likely on the desk of the head, our solution, or when you got the bill, whether it's on, on print, like we used to, or in, in the mail or on the, on the website, it, there's a good chance that we've, we have done it for your telco, whether it's again in the States, T-Mobile, Sprint, AT&T, Comcast and others. So Amdocs is a 26,000, uh, employees worldwide, uh, public companies, the NASDAQ, 4 billion in revenue. And we've been around for over 30 years. And we actually reinvented ourselves. We started in uh, Yellow Pages many, many years ago, 30 years ago, and evolved into Yellow Pages billing, then into, into actual billing of, of calls. It was wireline back then. Then into billing, customer care, BSS, and today we do everything telco, right? And when we try to be everything for a customer enable their business. And we have a lot of services, a lot of products that we do in-house, but obviously we're not, we don't have everything. We're not the best of everything. We don't pretend to be. So this is where our partners come in. And we have partners uh, that spend from the, the basic infrastructure, like the boxes, uh, server storage, and, and the AWS infrastructure and Azure and those guys all the way to the software infrastructure and then to solutions and all the way to services. Now, specifically for the software solution, which is what I'm focusing on, wherever we don't have a business solution for a customer problem, we bring in our partners. We sell them or provide them to our customers as part of our solution, sometimes bundled and integrated, and sometimes as a simple turnkey project that we can turn on in a few weeks. So we 
make the technology available, resell it, we implement it together with the partner and we leverage our relationship and our delivery capabilities. And of course, our relation, track records of project delivery and the faith the customer had in us and the knowledge of their business to bring them the partner solution in a easier, more productive manner. Yoav, what would you say is um, some of the more, the more challenging parts of making partnerships work? You know, so, I mean, you, 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 your folks, your team, your organization, you, you guys work with some of the, the biggest companies that there are um, in the world to put these solutions together for your clients. What are some of the more challenging parts that, that you have to overcome or maybe things that you have to you know, train and teach your staff um, that will help you know, make your partnerships more successful for, for everybody? I think that in, in my world, in our world of call it uh, the enterprise business where we have a few hundred customers and, but we also have only in the software domain, only in my domain, I have about a hundred partners, which is quite a lot, right? And obviously I don't talk to all of them on a daily basis as much as I like to. And we, we don't work with all of them on a daily basis, but that's it. So I think probably the first thing is, is focus, both in terms of the match of you know, which customer has what need at what time. And on the one hand, on the other, and it's always, it's always a balancing act because on the one hand, I would like to bring everything I can, all the value I can to every customer, but you can't do that. And I want to sell each and every partner. We can't do that either, right? So focus is probably the first thing. And what we've actually done, we've recently kind of relaunched our partner program. I think I mentioned that to you before. And one of the things we, we, we have done that we haven't done, at least formally in the past uh, 20 years that we've been working with partners is something very trivial that is called the focus partner. So we've defined some criteria and selected a handful of customers of, of partners, sorry, in every domain. And probably all, all in all is between like 10 to 15 that are, will be a focus partner. Usually the partners that are more mature that we've been doing business for a while, we have a certain volume of business. Uh, they have a proven track record with us. To, so we, we had some success stories, so on and so forth. And those are the partners that we invest more time with, go proactively to customer, try to, to pitch and create proactive opportunities with, while with others, it's a, you know, it can be a very substantial business, but it's, it's either more tactical, more opportunistic, and, or maybe in certain regions. So I think that's one, I think focus is one. Uh, and the second is, is repeatability. Uh, especially in a business of scale, the ability to not start from scratch uh, is huge, right? So of course we have processes and we, we have materials and we have the know-how, that's easy. But in a world where a sales cycle is, average is nine to 18 months, and that's what I tell, by the way, every, every new partner I meet, I tell them, hey, listen, I don't know what, you know, what you're used to, but in our world, in, in the telecommunication industry, it doesn't matter if you sell 
a $100,000 deal or $10 million deal. More or less the sales cycle is nine to 18 months in average, right? There are exceptions. I closed the deal with Adobe, which is also, as I said, not a small company with a major tier one in North America, which is also not one of the, the fastest one to say the least. And from RFP to deal closure and start of the project, it was six months. And it was about, I think it was a 20, $20 million deal, right? So there are exceptions, but I had tiny deals that dragged for three years. So uh, going back to repeatability, the ability to take something we've done, package it, and then do it again quicker, uh, or at least at a minimum, invest less resources or less time for everyone in that process is big. Yoav, what would you say is, is the greatest opportunity that's, that's facing you know, Amdocs or your team from a partnering perspective? You know, we, we hear a lot about you know, ecosystems, for example, um, and just you know, kind of the evolution, the natural evolution. I mean, 5G is a huge thing right now going on in telecom. Um, a lot of interoperability of, of different networks and technologies. Uh, it's, it's all about the bandwidth and everything being in high definition and so much video. Uh, just what, how technology is going, how telecoms are going, and the services that you provide in. From a partnering perspective, what are some, some, of, the, some of the interesting challenges or actually you know, there are opportunities that, that you see for Amdocs to help continue to evolve the, the telecommunications space? Yeah. Well, actually, it goes, there are, it goes hand in hand with the, the technology evolution and the business evolution. So as I said earlier, we are, our mission is to help our customers succeed and, and serve their customers. So we want to enable them. And, and, and if we can do it in the best way, that's the opportunity. Now, if you look, if you look at technologies, yes, obviously, you know, bandwidth and 5G is one very hot topic, uh, automation or you know, even hyper automation is another. Um, and I think actually automation is part of, or sometimes thought of as a part of digital or digital transformation. And that uh, the team we're experiencing right now, the COVID actually accelerated the digital transformation or the uh, digital revolution, if you will, but it's been there before and it will be, we, will be there after. Uh, that's somewhere the world is moving to. So the, the move to digital has so many implications on, on a business and, and in, in, a good, in a good way and in many challenging ways. So that's another thing that uh, we are very big on and it's a big opportunity for us and for our partners to help our customers evolve and become digital because all of them are not digital, what we call digital natives. If you look at a new startup that we talked about, right? If they are starting now, most likely they will be digital natives, whether their uh, founders are digital native generation, like the Z generation or the Y generation, or it's uh, people that are you know, older, but the company is, is built on a foundation of the new technologies and new business processes. It's in their DNA. Older companies, it's not in their DNA. So they have you know, 
even customers not as big as, let's say, Fortune 100, they usually have hundreds, if not, if not more of different application and, and IT stacks on different technologies and their business processes don't talk to each other and don't talk to the technology they're using. Now, if you look at a company like Amazon, one of the things that allowed them to grow and, and become what they are and act so quickly and, and define the user experience is the fact that they, everything there was built from the ground up in a digital way, in a certain way. And so I think that digital transformation or the ability to transform your company into as, as close as possible to a digital native company is the biggest challenge, the biggest opportunity that actually every company has, not only in telecommunication. It goes back to your way, the way you can serve your customers. Uh, how fast can you do it? How fast can you get the order, process it and ship it and make sure it got there on time and, and it's all good and collect the feedback from the customer. It's a matter of how you do things in-house. What's your internal customer employee experience? The employees of the customer, right? What tools do you provide your employees the, so they can serve your customer better, do their job better, communicate to their each other, to each other, right? You talked about Monday, that's what they do, right? And so I think that's a second thing. Of course, there are, with new technologies come new opportunities that were not there before. And, and you can talk about amazing hypes of, of drones and, and, and self-driving cars, but honestly, you know, it, it might, might not be that um, futuristic because, you know, there are many things that, that we do today that just can be, with just a small incremental improvement, you can make them 50% better. Yeah. I was, um, I mean, right before, <laughs> right before the COVID shutdown, I was out in Vegas to do a keynote and I got to ride in one of the, the lift cars, uh, the autonomous vehicles. It was, it was manned, but uh, about 90, 95% of our ride was totally hands off. And uh, that, was, that was an interesting experience. But yeah, the, I mean, the future is here. <laughs> and it, partnerships is not only a way, I think it is going to be the way. I mean, whenever you're talking about so much of technology and just the globalization, I definitely want to talk to you some more about, uh, you know, about cultures and, and regions and, and, and having this international reach for partnerships, that door being open wider now than it ever has been before. But uh, partnerships I, will be the way. I mean, all this, the trends and statistics are showing that if you don't know how to partner, your organization is in trouble. But Yoava, I'd love to, to have you chat a little bit just with your wealth of experience of doing international partnerships and Amdocs being such a, a large international organization. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you've learned about cultures and, you know, and just even geography and how that plays into partnerships and what you've learned over the years? Sure, I think that that's crucial because first of all, I agree with you that the more the more we go 
into the future, partnership will be even more crucial just because of the fact that no one can do everything the best way, right? There's always specialization. There's always the greatest startup that does things better. And you want to focus on, even if you can do something and you can do it well, it doesn't mean you have to do it. And that's what I tell people all the time. Hey, okay, that we have a gap in the product. We can build internally. We have amazing people, but should we, right? So I think that, that's for sure. And that will continue to be the case and will be more and more. And I think the startup, well, startups and, and big companies alike, partnership is all about people. And just like the, the parallel to sales, people do business and people partner with people and with part, people they, they connect with and, and trust. It's all about relationship. It's all about trust. Uh, the, the technology is important, the business model, of course, is important, but those are the second pillar. So it's all about people connecting with people. Uh, and, and with that, uh, it's crucial to be at least aware of the, of the differences and complexity that culture brings into the mix, into the game. Um, and you can think about even in, in the US, right? The East Coast mentality and the West Coast mentality or the Southern mentality, right? Um, it's different. It's not that different. Uh, you share the same values, the same perception of time, for example, but there are subtle differences, right? Uh, now, take it to the next level. If you talk to people from another region, another culture, another time zone, uh, there might be things or there will be things that are different that impact fundamentally the way they interact, the way they perceive things, the way they communicate. Um, and, and you need at the minute to be aware of that. And if you will be, it will help you. If not, it, it can actually kill the deal. So you know, I, I can tell you that as someone who has uh, I call it uh, roots on both sides of the sea, on both sides of the ocean, right? I grew up in Israel, and as much as I traveled the world, even when I was there, and I was serving customers all around the world from Israel for many, many years, when I came to the States, I thought, hey, you know, I've been doing business with North America for uh, 10, 15 years. I know the culture. I know how things work. It's not such a big deal. It took me a while to understand how much I didn't know and I didn't realize about American culture. And you can claim that Israeli culture, American culture, at least the Western world culture is relatively similar. But then take it to other places in the world. For example, South America, uh, the perception of time is different. Um, take it, talk about uh, India and, and their very hierarchical nature society and how they treat um, someone who is more senior, what they will and will not say. So for example, you will never, or you will less hear a pushback. You will not say here, uh, no, you will say here a yes, but, but even the but is very subtle, okay? Uh, on the other hand, uh, even in US culture, if you compare it to Middle Eastern culture, 
um, the, the tendency or the willingness to confront, and of course it varies by the person and by East Coast, West Coast, but in general, uh, it's less confront, confrontational and it's all about subtle things, right? For example, if you get I think something that I've seen so many times is in, like, an Israeli company goes into a meeting with an American customer or North American customer, can be even with, with Canadians, right? The meeting goes on, they present, there are some questions, some discussion. We go to the meeting and ask the guys, how was it? And they almost always the answer is, it was great, it was amazing, they loved us, they loved the product, and we're going to seal the deal tomorrow. <laughs> and I sit there and ask them, really, are you sure? Yes, we are. And because, why? Because everyone were nice, no one, no one challenged them, no, the word no did not come. People said it's interesting, right? Which for, for you is one thing. For, for them, it's another. For them, <laughs> they take it as fast. Finally, interesting is great. Well, interesting can be both ways. It depends on the tone, right? Uh, and again, it, it goes on and on. Right? There's even, uh, um, you know, talk about, even about names, right? Um, names or nickname. Um, for example, I had a friend of mine, his name is David. It's a very common Jewish name. Now, the, the nickname or the sh in short of this name, which is very common in Israel, is Dudi. Now, he was a, a senior executive. You can, and you can imagine how it would be perceived if he walked into a board meeting in the States and presented himself as, as Dudi. <laughs> That's not, doesn't go so well, right? And, and, and again, it goes on and on. I, there's actually, if you look at my LinkedIn website, there's one article that I read that I love uh, by, uh, by a lady from the, from the West Coast who's been uh, just like me living on both sides of the sea. She wrote a very interesting article about uh, the five top mistakes that Israeli startups make when pitching to Americans. And I just, and she wrote in a very light way, it's not heavy reading. I actually read it and, and found myself nodding and say, yes, been there, done that, I know that one. And it's very funny. She actually, she said there, there's a phrase, a catchphrase I like. She said that Israelis are like Texan with hummus. And if you want to go to a deeper than that, which by the way, I found this topic fascinating. If you go back to school, there is a, actually a whole study or set of studies about the difference in culture and business. And there's a scholar named Hofstede that talks about the six dimension of culture and how different nation and region map in each dimension. And the dimension are like individualism, power distance, masculinity, uncertainty, avoidance, long orientation, and indulgence. You just look it up. And also, if, again, if you don't have to read the entire study, you just have to understand the concept. And if you just look at it, you understand the meaning of those parameters and how different societies look at each one, that can be a very, very helpful tool. Oh, absolutely. I think, as we were talking about earlier, that the world is getting so much smaller. I mean, it's almost every day, 
I am on a Zoom call with a client or just having a conversation with somebody from the other hemisphere. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's Dublin, Ireland a week ago, um, earlier today uh, with a gal from India, um, all over the world. And, you know, as the world becomes smaller, as we, as we are able to partner, as we're able to connect with international resources, this topic is going to become absolutely critical to, to understand. So that is, that is definitely something that, uh, that, that we need to be thinking about. You know, I want to ask you, so, you know, you've had a, a, a really strong career and done a lot of different things, but it hasn't always been partnering. What is it about the partnering role that uh, intrigued you and that, uh, is, you know, has you kind of planting your flag here for a while? I've, if, if I look back at my career, and I've, I've actually started in Amdocs as, as, as a developer. I started from the ground up and worked my way, you know, you know, through the corporate ladder and different things. And I've done almost everything from product development and project delivery, and then moved to, to, to sales, or actually pre-sales and technology sales and account management. And in the past six years, I've been doing partnerships. And... And just before I went to partnership, you know, I was thinking about what my next one, what I want to do. And I kind of figured, well, I've actually done a bit of everything. And, and that's what partnership is, is. I was going to say, that's a perfect pedigree to do partnerships. You got to know a little bit of everything. Right. And, and if, you know, I, I had a chat with someone who wanted to go into partnership a while back. And that's what I told him. I said, hey, you can, you can start as, as a, a partner manager you can do that that's that's not you know that's not rocket science but if you have a chance to experience uh, a bit of every discipline uh, some technology some management account management customer management uh, and some sales uh, some more on the business side operation product uh, developments yep you will be and much better at what you do as a partnership. First of all, because you talk to, as a partner, a partner leader, a partner developer, a partner manager, is like a quarterback, right? It's, you're only as strong as your team, but and you, you need to lead the team or at least help them you know, center. So if you know how it is, you don't have to be the best running back, but you, got to know what it is that, that they're looking for, what their point of view is, right? You'll be a better quarterback if you had experience around them. Now, in the sport world, it's not always possible. But in, in the business world, it is. And, and I see the difference between people that came into a partner's role from a, only an operational background. They look at things in a, through one set of glasses. It's all operation. I look at people that come from technology. It's all about the solution. Now, if if you have if you have a chance, if you can experience some of each, I think you'd be better. And that's what I like about it because it's a sum of all, and you get to do everything. So it's always interesting. And I find myself on calls some sometime talking about go-to-market strategies, sometime guiding someone about how to structure the PL. Sometimes, you know, how do we build a business model? 
Uh, and Sundar is what is the joint story and, and the, the elevator pitch about the partnership. So. Yeah. But of what I hear you say is it's also about empathy. We hear a lot about that word, especially over the last uh, five to 10 years or so in the partnering space. But being able to empathize, being able to really understand other people's perspectives, because you, you have a background and an appreciation and understanding of kind of a 360 approach to business. As you mentioned, sometimes it's it's product, sometimes it's marketing, sometimes it's pricing, sometimes it's finance, it's the, it's the business case, it's pricing, it's the legal terms, the legal aspects, it's, it's operational right. um, delivery. There's so many different components. You're absolutely right in that. Um, so By y'all, way, go ahead. Um, you know, no one can do everything. You know, even if, if you spend, you know, 20 years and trying to do everything, but and, and there are things that, for example, I have no, I have no background in legal, but I'm doing, I've done so many contracts in my life that today I can probably draft contracts and, and redline a, to some extent like a lawyer, right? So learn, learn on the fly, even if you come from a, an engineering background and you've never done sales in your life and, and you find yourself in a partnership role, so take time, plan, spend time with your colleagues, sit down with product management, ask them just like you do, you know, I'll make that feel just like you do with your wife, right? But in a very different way, ask them how their day was, what are the challenges that they're facing? You know, how does, how can you help them? Uh, even if there's nothing concrete, learn about their way, their perspective, do the same with the sales folks, with the finance folks, and then try to bring it all together when you're building a partnership. Yeah, absolutely. Then jump on the Partnernomics platform and, and enroll in the Strategic Partner Leadership Professional certification. <laughs> but uh, you all, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your insights. Uh, we definitely appreciate that. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Actually... Partnernomics podcast is brought to you by Partnernomics. Learn how to leverage the power of partnership. To listen to more episodes of Partnernomics Podcast, visit Partnernomics.com.